You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Guys, as always, it's your host, Jeff Lloyd, here, your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Whether it's Alexa, whether it's Surrey, guys, everybody's into the voice-activated internet devices. Um, Play Locked On Browns, current episode. I'll fire it up for you in a second. Best way to torment your kids. Whether it means extra downloads, I'm not sure, but either way, I have some fun tormenting children. It's cool, guys. You have your fun with it because you brought them into this world, so you got to get Pokemon every drop out of the way. One of my favorite guests, and whether it's one, two, three times a year, and the best part is, is whenever we do these winter sit-downs, I remember years ago, uh, you know, doing to the RSP film room, doing uh, Jalen Strong out of Arizona State, drove home in a blinding snow, sat down with him. <laughs> About a year ago, I was like, all right, dude, we're going to do our best here. I just pray it's quiet. The kids already have off of school tomorrow. And without a fact, about 9 o'clock tonight, the information came through. The kids are snowed out today. There is not a drop of snow coming down right now. Nothing on my deck, nothing in my yard. But my kids already have off of school tomorrow. So uh, Uncle St. Matt Waldman is joining us here. Um, <laughs> we're going to break it down here. We're going to do, uh, obviously, the offensive skill positions. You know, Matt's going to give us his thoughts here on each position. Um, Quarterback-wise, yeah, maybe you draft somebody late, whatever. Uh, and a guy who will fit at the running back, wide receiver, tight end needs in Matt's eyes. But there's just no doubt about it. From the RSP Film Room, if you don't know Matt Waldman, guys, well, check it out right now. But, um, you know, whether it's fantasy-wise, whether it's um, skill position, assessment, and what I always say about my buddy Matt is, is he is fantastic with the written word and the lingo, uh, he just finds a way to keep me engaged. But Matt, I sold you well, and now that you're in new facilities, um, it's changing. There's going to be a much, much more improved RSP, you know, facility. You're kind of like, you know, you're like, you know, like UCF, like you hit the big time, and now all of a sudden we're going to open it up now and get a bigger venue. But Matt, it's always a pleasure. You know that, bud. Well, I appreciate that, man. It's always a pleasure talking with you as well. And right now, I'm in—I'm actually in a little smaller office temporarily, probably until the collective bargain agreement's reached, and then we'll then we'll try to work expand from there, just to make sure everything's good. We don't want to overexpand here. But right now, it's me, a, a desk, and a bunch of moving boxes that I'm surrounded by. But you know, I, I kind of look towards the wall here. It's all good. <laughs> well, um, Matt, whether it was a phone booth, whether it's a train, whether it's the back of an Uber. You're always bringing solid content. You know that, well, I appreciate that, brother. Matt, now look, um, you know, you've always talked about, you know, you've had love for teams, but you've also had loves for like certain types of teams or certain situations. And, you know, obviously you've dated the Cleveland Browns on again, off again. Um, <laughs> so where the franchise is, and I remember the last time we talked to you, like we all had a little bit higher expectations. It wasn't going that way. And then all of a sudden, they kind of, you know, basically cut a train car or two, picked up a lot of steam, and from from one and fifteen, zero and sixteen, to end up seven, eight, and one with a guy who was your running back coach, who maybe many folks didn't know about, but it just it became wow. And for me covering it, and I know it from the way this show went, it just wow. I mean, just a lot happened, and a lot happened in a short period of time. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think I've been more excited about seeing the direction that the Browns are taking after watching the Freddie Kitchens press conference 
um, than I've been since I was a diehard Browns fans and fan in the 70s, 80s, and up until, you know, the, the until Modell moved them. Um, so, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I think that they hired the right guy. I think they picked a guy who I, who has worked under Bill Parcells. When you listen to him give a press conference, you can see the influences that Parcells has there, which is being prepared to, to answer things in a manner where you're going to you're not going to throw anybody under the bus in terms of a team. Um, you're going to say what you what you mean, though. You're going to be pretty clear. And also, it seems like that he's looking at this as a leader, not so much a specialist who brings his brand of football to a team. And I think that's very important because I think a lot of I think a lot of teams fail because they saw way back in the day. Even if you look at say Bill Parcells, I mean, excuse me, Bill Walsh, mm-hmm. Bill Walsh, known for his system. But the the bigger thing about Bill Walsh in the West Coast system was that Bill Walsh was also a great leader and mind in terms of managing a team. And I think, and, and you know, all you have to do is read the Winning Edge by him, and you see that that's the template for a lot of NFL head coaches in terms of how to run an organization from a team organizational management perspective. And I think that you look at Freddie Kitchens. And he seems to be a guy who says really all the right things from my perspective. And I don't usually listen to um, press conferences and take, have that taken away, have that type of insight or takeaway from an interview. But I was pretty excited about what I heard specifically. And I think that they have a lot of the right pieces in place in terms of key players. And they have a coach who's willing to figure out ways to use them best and take um, input that he needs and not be stuck ego-wise to a system where he's holding a remote control in his team or just pixels on a screen, which is, I think, where a lot of teams make mistakes. And, and that was the probably the most impressive thing about Freddie. Um, I go back to you know a couple instances, obviously, you know, uh, you know, breaking out the wishbone against the Atlanta Falcons. And look, maybe you don't want to ask your third string running back to throw a pass. But hey, you were having some fun with it. You were feeling the moment. I go to the Carolina game. And the thing that came away with Freddie that week was, you know, he had said earlier in the week, he's like, well, if Baker's going to have any struggles, don't worry about it. Luke, Luke Keekley's going to make the calls for him. Um, and it was kind of like, oh, wow, okay, lucky. You know, he's, he's respecting, you know, the best player and the leader of the Carolina defense. But then he came back that with the two counter you know, slot, you know, slot, two counter slots with Jarvis Landry, which turned out to be crucial plays. And it was kind of like, oh, look at this. Like, he, he kind of called his shot early in the week and, you know, gave, you know, Keekly the respect. And then all of a sudden came out back with a game plan where he was taking and going after Keekly. And it was like, well, okay, well, wait a minute. And a lot of the guys I talk with, you know, when we cover Browns, that was the week where it was all of a sudden like, well, this has been a nice story, but man, this guy may be running the show here. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes total sense. And you kind of want, it, you know, it just shows you too that this is a guy who he's he's also been a positions coach in a variety of ways. He wasn't just a running backs coach, and he's been in the league for a while. And he's just a guy that didn't get his opportunity. But oftentimes, player, you know, coaches get their opportunities for sometimes really stupid reasons. Sometimes those stupid reasons are that. You know, somebody like Stephen A. Smith is talking about who he'd want to have as a coach because 
you know, they might be able to run really fast when, in fact, they can't leave the pocket. Oh, wait a minute. Is that a coach or a quarterback? I don't know which. But, um, but you, you, you know. Ohio listeners probably know on that point. Yeah, I think you know who we're talking about there. But, <laughs> you know, we, we think about that. And, and oftentimes owners are heavily influenced by those around them who are outside the organization. And they can be very reactive. We saw the Haslam article, you know, in ESPN um, that was written about some of the things that many people suspected about owners everywhere. And I think Haslam's made the mistake in the past of probably being a, more of a reactive owner about things and, and not really taking it, you know, taking a measured stance or approach in terms of process and, and staying the course rather than reversing field. And I think John Dorsey's been helpful in that regard to say, hey, listen, we know that the NFL is a quick turnaround, turnover profession, but let's do our due diligence when we hire somebody and let's do it for the right reasons. Because most teams, if you said, yeah, I've got this offensive mind who's been a tight ends coach and a running backs coach and he's worked with several teams, but he's never really had an offensive coordinator gig. He doesn't have some any kind of like sexy resume um you know but he's done really great work and when you talk to him he's probably not the most media friendly savvy fit in terms of what you're looking for for the cleveland area base because they're probably going to be making fun of his alabama accent you mm -hmm. know so uh, you know you know and usually an owner is probably going to take all these dumb things into account and and actually say yeah we want a sexier pick who's going to make a splash and i think that with kitchens they did the right thing they let him prove it um, they gave him the opportunity, they let him prove it, and I think that they saw what he was able to do with that organization as a whole in terms of getting the input of everyone, letting people do their jobs. The best managers let people do their jobs and figure out ways to help them make it do better. And when he said, my job is to figure out what makes people tick and how to get the most out of them and then figure out ways to let them be the best that they can be, that's what good managers do. It's not the, I'm going to be in control of everything because eventually the manager's going to break down in that regard. And then they're going to be a total ass and inconsistent at certain times because they're stressed out. Um, and they, they, and then also try and cover up any type of issues that they have where they're not, you know, they're ineffectual in certain areas of their, you know, of their responsibilities that they've taken on. And that, makes the whole team suffer and you end up with dysfunction and i and i think that this is a good hire from that end and i don't think it was one that haslam and company would have made last year two years ago three years ago yeah and it's you know and you don't want to give off the automatic impression of he's one of the guys but he carries himself as you know look i understand i'm higher up but i am one of the guys and and i go back to and we had i had kevin zeitler on the show at one point and the fact that he just came in and said hey guys what are your favorite running plays to block? And you in all of that just in we've talked I I mentioned this a ton is it's go to your players in good times so that way when you need a little bit more, hey guys, look, you know, this is what we need this week. Yeah, it's a little out of the norm or whatever. And everyone's on board because they feel it's a mutual give and forth. And you know, obviously Freddie Freddie is not you know that experienced to have this position, but if his players see that they're willing to go back and forth it makes a world of difference, and you know we've all seen you know the, the videos of him and Baker. You know, ah, you're an idiot. Hell, he's an idiot. And as long as those two are in jive, and everybody else says, "Look, this is a lot better times than we've had here in forever," it makes it a lot easier to sell the product to a whole fifty-three. Yeah, and experience is one of those things that experience can basically be how many years you've done it wrong. 
not so much how many years you've done it right. Um, so if you've got someone who's giving you some indication, even if they have little experience that they know how to do things right, that's a good thing. And you hold on to that. Some of the best companies actually hire people not based on experience because they say, oh, yeah, that only tells me how many years you've been doing it wrong. Um, and so when you look at something like what's going on there in terms of mixing players to scheme and finding what they do well, that's the whole thing about football is that you know, football has so many variations in terms of scheme types, in terms of how you attack certain schemes, the way that, um, you, you know, based on what person, you know, you, you know, I was having this conversation with a, a former writer of mine at Rookie Scouting Portfolio, um, Eric Stoner. We we're talking about the Super Bowl and just talking about how to defend a certain run play and how when you defend that, you have to account not only for whether they're playing a 4-3 or a 3-4, you have to account for um, you know how they're gonna, how they may decide to defend that particular run play, and then some of that defense may also come into play with who's their, who are their best players? Do they have a strong nose tackle, or do they have strong linebackers? If they have one or the other, then that changes everything. So there are so many variations with all of that, and the terminology can be different um, depending on where you've coached and how you've learned. And so what happens is that everyone likes to look at Bill Belichick and point to, well, that's the way a coach should be. He should be so, you know, diverse in terms of what he knows about scheme and personnel and how to employ that, that you can just mold everything the way you want to, depending on your opponent. Well, that's easier said than done. You know, I mean, Bill Belichick is a virtuoso when it comes to all of those types of things. And he's been studying coaching books in the bowels of the Hall of Fame when he was a little boy. I mean, literally was something that he was, you know, this has been a lifetime endeavor for him in a way that you can have very good coaches who are very good at some things, but not everything. Belichick's the exception to the rule, but we want to apply that exception everywhere. So when you take a look at Freddie Kitchens, the fact that he's not trying to you know, hammer home what he knows and force players who may not be great at it into that. He's trying to discover what players do well, what they like to do, and figuring out a way to mold that. Because when you have that buy-in, you have that engagement, and you also engage their expertise rather than try and teach them something new all the time, um, you're actually going to have players who are more instinctive, um, react well on the field, who can, who aren't trying to overthink and do do the wrong or they end up doing the wrong thing and end up playing slow because they're thinking too much. So where he's got this baseline wise, I think is very good. Now it's just up for us to see whether the GM and owner are going to do what they've promised to do to support him. And if they can do that, and even if they have to ride out some ebbs and flows with, you know, with that, with the team's performance, if they can stay the course with him, I think that they're going to be, it's going to be a really exciting time for the Cleveland franchise. I couldn't agree more, and we're going to get into a little bit more of that. Um, obviously, they may have edited shit here today, whatever the situation is with that. But, guys, um, Lockdown Browns here. Matt Woolman is joining us the RSP Film Room. If you are not subscribed, if you don't get the newsletter, look, guys, you all play fantasy. You all enjoy the draft. It's a good thing to do. But uh, iTunes rating reviews, drop a five-star right now. Huh? Written review, it's always appreciated. We're going to get a little bit more into the roster here. Now, Matt... Um, for the first time in a long time in this franchise history, they have the key ingredient correct. They know what they have under center, and it's been and it's man for guys like us who cover the draft. I mean, we know every name who's taken snaps here and been a part of this the laundry list that everybody likes to call it. 
But that is not going to be the issue going into 2019. They finally found their guy. Um, I think it's a nice blend of city and player. And, you know, I understand there's some who say, look, there's just too many times where he, you know, claps back when he doesn't need to. I guess what it is, but, I mean, a city like this and a franchise like this, they love it. They love every drop of what Baker Mayfield has become. Yeah, and I think it is a great fit. And, you know, while I wasn't, he wasn't the player that was highest on my board at the position, he's played very well, and he's a player that I definitely thought could be a starter in this league and a player who's capable of Pro Bowl starts with surrounding talent um, that's, you know, commensurate with his ability. So I think that that's still available to his game to access, and he's going to continue growing. I love the fact that he trusts the players around him, um, the way that he – he will throw the ball into areas where he will let his receivers be athletic and go get it um, is a good thing. I think his red, obviously the red zone stats speak for themselves. Um, he's been very efficient there, very quick. And when he hasn't been quick, he'll buy time in a smart way to do that. Um, you know, the issues that he brought in college with them, they're still kind of there in terms of, you know, how he handles pressure that comes off the edges and, and when he can get pinned into the pocket. But that's a, that's a hard thing to do um, for, for some defenses to be able to do that on a consistent basis. And every quarterback's going to have weaknesses. But I'd say that, you know, he's in really good stead. And I like the match for the city myself because he's a, he's a guy that's basically sold, you know, when – when it was basically like, well, you might end up on the Browns, he's like, great, and I want to be the guy that turns it around, you know, and it wasn't lip service. And the fact that he has a chip on his shoulder, I mean, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan and you've been a Cleveland Browns fan since um, the last time this was a really good football team, which has been a very long time, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder as a fan too. So it's a it's a great match for that. You want a guy with a little bit of a scrappy attitude. Um, and that it fits this team. This team needs to play with an edge. They play in a physical division. Um, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore are physical teams, and the Ray and same with the Bengals. You know, this is what this this is what the AFC North is known for. And uh, it, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna win in this division, then you've got to be the toughest, and you got to play with a little bit of an edge. So I like it. And. And, and that's what makes it fun. That's what brings the viewers to it, obviously. And, you know, I talk with guys in the season ticket office, and the sales are through the roof. I mean, it, it, it's a believable product. And the thing is, you know, he does do a lot a lot of lip service to his own game and backs up his teammates in that respect. But there's no lack of the work ethic from him. So it, it's been fun to watch this grow. And I love what you brought up, the points of, obviously, he plays with what's around him, which we're going to get in into here a little bit. Um, and it's funny because we're going to go to the running back position. And originally I was going to start this with, well, Duke Johnson is still forever underutilized. Matt, I know the Miami heart in you probably thinks about that. Nick Chubb is a guy that you absolutely think the world of. Uh, you gave him, I mean, I, I, I still believe it was still the highest grade that you ever gave to a running back. And yep. once he finally got the opportunity, he showed it. And then they go and sneak in a move like today. And look, if you just look at it from the pure football stance of it, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Duke Johnson, one box, one backfield. Wow. I mean, there's a lot to it. Um, I'm still going to ask you for a draft name here. But it's <laughs> before we get, before we close it out, I mean, I, Benny Snell, I would have loved him here. But, I mean, 
But now they went and made a move like this, and football-wise, there's a lot of business to it, and it's it's not a terrible... If you're looking at it just from the business move of it as far as what you can recoup and things of that nature, you get it. it it's difficult with a guy like this, though, who has the off-field. But you put this together as just players... I mean, you, you talk about Freddie Kitchens and likes to mix everything up. Now, this just got, like, crazy, crazy fun as far as a talented backfield. It did, and it's and it really just depends on, you know, the way I look at it is that this was a pick that says these are this is a win-win option for us. It gives us options, and, and part of those options are running back is the most punishing dis, um, position probably in the NFL, takes its toll on the player, and these players are, you know, one play away from a catastrophic injury. So the fact that you can sign Kareem Hunt cheaply, possibly get first rights or refusal on him at the end of the year after if he's able to prove that he's, you know, that he's maturing and that he's getting assistance and that he can maintain the type of um, comportment that you would expect from an NFL player, um, then they're going to get the first option to keep him if something bad happens you know, to Chubb or to Johnson, um, and they need a running back. Well, now you've had a, you've given the first, you know, sec, you've given the second chance to to that player who was out of the league, who was a former Pro Bowl player. Um, so that's that's the first option. Second option is, well, after he serves a suspension, I would imagine it would be somewhere between six to ten games, if you, mm-hmm. you know, based on what he did, and then based on the fact that he lied about it. Um, so if it's six to 10 games, well, you're not really worrying about if you're a Nick Chubb fantasy owner, you're not really worrying about Kareem Hunt this year. I mean, you may down the stretch and it might turn into a CJ Anderson, you know, Todd Gurley type of situation. If Chubb were banged up, um, or they just need a fresh or a fresh body comes in there and plays really well. But if you ask me talent wise, I mean, you know, Nick Chubb was up there with Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, um, you know, and Saquon Barkley in terms of grades that I gave players. Um, and when I look at Hunt, Hunt was certainly a capable starter, but I think if you grade, when I grade players, I grade them independently of their surrounding talent. That may sound strange to people who, who think about draft grades and how they look at film, but I, I very specifically tried to construct the running back position evaluations in a way where it was independent of what the blocking you know what the blockers did um and how much space and room they have but it's based more on decisions independent uh they're dependent on what happens but it's not so yardage or production dependent as it is decision dependent and so when i look at hunt and chubb chubb to me is a little bit more of a talented back hunt may have the edge um, when people talk about notoriety and talent together and they'll conflate the two things, Kareem Hunt has more notoriety as a former Pro Bowl player and two seasons on or one and a half seasons under his belt, whereas Nick Chubb has half of a season under his belt um, and played extremely well. But people will look at the stats and say, well, Hunt's better. Well, if you're really looking at talent, I would say that Chubb's a better runner um, he has a little bit more breakaway speed. He also is a guy that's a better receiver, obviously, we saw than what people realized. And on top of it, Kareem Hunt still struggles as a blocker. So when you look at it from this perspective, unless um, Chubb is banged up, I don't see Hunt just overtaking the job. I think what you have here is that down the stretch he can be used if Chubb's hurt 
or as a supplement, a change of pace. Um, and maybe also if they want to get really imaginative, which I, you know, I think they'll get imaginative, but I don't think they're going to go to the extreme of, you know, running the wishbone on a regular basis with those three guys. <laughs> it might happen, which would be kind of fun. Um, but if it works, um, but I'd say that most likely it's a, it's a situation where they can, they can be happy about that. But, you know, running back is because it's so punishing. It would be nice. They could get another guy and another guy that I would add into this mix who's growing on me. And I'm not saying this because I'm on your show. I just realized that I was saying that I was actually going to do this, but he's from FSU and it's Jock Patrick. Um, I'm a Jock Patrick fan. <laughs> I think that I, are you on the floor? Did you just like, did, did no, I, I mean, the first thing I think if I'm thinking in evaluation on Jock Patrick, Jock Patrick is fourth quarter guy. Fourth, four minute, fourth quarter, uh, yes. big tall guy. But I mean, but this blends in, and this is one of the things I keep, and nobody wants to hear it because like nobody thinks outside of it. But I would rather have a running back two that if Nick Chubb missed two to three games, that's right, before that ever wide receiver one because you need those twelve to eighteen carries because you need to keep the play action honest with Baker. But even still, if you're a good team. You want to run the ball a little more, and you're going to need to do that. Yes, and you have a guy who can't. Jock Patrick can catch out of the backfield. He's far more nimble, and he, to me, he reminds me of a. He reminds me of a more physical Legarrette Blunt. Like Legarrette Blunt, everybody thinks is a is a grinder and kind of a plotter, but he has unbelievable foot quickness and precision and great hip mobility to to really make the first man miss kind of in the way that Jerome Bettis was really nimble but actually better um, blunt can bend a little bit more drop that weight and come to a quick stop but the thing with blunt is he's not as much of a tackle breaker as he looks Jack Jack Patrick can break some tackles and he can dole out some punishment and he, well. catch the ball and he can make you he can he can make you miss so when I look at him He's a guy that can help on special teams early if you needed him to, but he's a guy that also can deliver for you on passing downs, and he gives you that continuity. Because I don't want another Duke Johnson if as my third or fourth back. I want another every like you. Yep. I want never every down back who can do that. And I think that he's a guy that he didn't even get invited to the combine. Um, so, and there are a number of backs who didn't get invited to the combine where I thought that's kind of screwy. But the thing is, is there's so much talent in that position, and it's also often a misunderstood position. So I think Patrick is a guy that can give you that um, that halfback type of look, but he could even probably play fullback for you if you needed to. So it gives you that also scheme versatility, um, and you get a versatile player out of the mix who can give you some help you as a contributor early on in a different way, but then also become that running back if need be. And, you know, if you're going to go the Florida State route, um, you, you go like almost Edgar Bennett. Like, he was a guy who was able to do it, obviously, years and years ago. But it was to do it in both facets, it was asked. It was nice, you know. Pre-injury Greg Jones. There you go. See, I gave Matt some MU love. Matt gave me a little Florida State love. It was nice to see that. It was. But And, and here's the other thing with it, though, is, I mean, this remains a possibility that Kareem Hunt may never wear a Browns jersey. That could possibly happen. So, you know, whenever the suspension finally drops, and if you're the Browns and you took this risk, you better hope you know before the draft. Because if he's out 10 weeks, 
you're going to need another running back. Um, if he's out a calendar year, which could possibly be as well, you're going to need another running back. So you're going to want that answer, obviously, well before you know late April in the NFL draft. We're going to kick it over a little bit, Matt. Now, the wide receiver position, and this is where I do have a, you know the issue. The, the listeners get upset with me. I think you just need to keep adding reliable, good route runners who catch the ball when it's thrown to them. You know, everybody, you know, they always, you know, look, anytime Odell Beckham's name comes up, everybody, oh, oh, you know, they're ready to risk it all, sell it all. Do you truly, does Baker Mayfield, does his offense the way it's been, what we saw the second half of this season, do they need that guy or is it just having more dominoes to play? It's a good question. And I think, why can't they have, I, and the first question for us should be, why can't they have both? Why can't they have both in one player? And that's and that's always a hard thing to to get that type of player, which is probably the answer. Which is, well, Julio Jones doesn't drop out of trees like every day. You're you not know? picking one up, you know, on the on the rack at the uh, food store by the gum. Exactly, but you know, if you travel a little bit west of of Ohio, you know, maybe a couple of days or so, depending on how far you want to drive. Or you go back to this guy's home in the east to the city that we shall not ever name on a Browns podcast unless we're playing them. Um, you might want to look at Hakeem Butler, a Baltimore native, um, out of, of Iowa State. And I'm a big Hunt Butler fan. Hakeem Butler, 6'6", 225. You're looking at a guy who, when you have somebody that big who can one run whip routes, where you yep. can drop that weight and you can, you can win on whip routes like that, you can run the hard breaks you can run the route tree and you also have that size to win the ball in the air um he has some drops but it's kind of the way that say brandon marshall or terrell owens had some drops they were focus drops um and and i'm okay with focus drops um you know he's he doesn't have a technical problem with his hands or like Sammy Coates doesn't have a problem tracking the football <laughs> over his head. Um, so so Butler's a guy that I'm really intrigued with because I think he can offer Baker Mayfield the route runner, but he can also be that that let's throw it up and let the athlete win the ball and be a mismatch against a good cornerback that you know we hope Josh Gordon would would someday provide with some level of you know consistency and you know but I think Butler is that type of player. And if I had my first choice at the top of the board, he would be it. Um, And the one thing we noticed with Baker Mayfield, um, David Njoku early in the season with Tyrod Taylor, and before Baker Mayfield got adjusted to him, is Baker seems to understand his receiver's catch points. Um, Once David Njoku got cooking, there was never a ball below the belt. It was like, all right, this doesn't work for you. And Hakeem Butler, I mean, look, I mean, it, it's really hard to miss the uh, the chest plate of that one and that nine. So maybe he could help him improve that. And, of course, you know, look, any quarterback when he's at Iowa State, he's he's jumping up, you know, I hate to say one <laughs> to two levels, but he's jumping up pretty high. And to see consistent accuracy in the ball, hey, it's going to be in your sweet spot. So go ahead and make the play. And that, and the thing is, I don't know if you need the traditional 90, 1,300-yard guy, but the guy that you can count on. Um, so part of this receiving core, and I don't remember where you were on him, but, Matt, it seemed like Rashard Higgins and him, it became like a thing. And it was just like, you know, and every quarterback kind of needs that guy in a wide receiving core where it's, hey, the chips are down. 
I know me and you kind of got something going here, and that's the guy you go to. And Rashard Higgins, I mean, for and this was a, and this just tells you a statement on this franchise is they they cut him. They were lucky to sneak him back on a practice squad. And wide receiver wise, he seemed to be Baker's go to guy last year. Yes, and I think that Rashard Higgins is a good lesson for anybody who's a draft Nick to think about the stick fact to your that guns. it's kind of stick to your guns, and it's also understanding that receivers are there's there are so many receivers who are pretty darn good as prospects but there's a lot of guys who are in that kind of height weight range where they don't particularly stand out either dimensionally or in athletically um and if they don't have the super athletic ability to compensate for just average height and weight or even below average height and weight then teams aren't going to be as interested early on and and part of that is is that what Higgins compensating factor was is one that was hidden really hidden from you know scouts and draft nicks or and I don't know if I'd say it's hidden and that they couldn't find it or see it but it had to be proven on the field and if you don't have those trump cards of you know physicality to get you that ticket on the field early on then you're not going to be able to prove it and what he had to prove is that not only is he a good route runner but he has really good rapport with his quarterbacks so that their quarterbacks trust him and they give him trust throws, trust targets, and he converts those. And I think it's one of those things that coaches oftentimes may see that in a practice from a player, but they'll say, well, he's not that fast. He's not that tall. He's not that big. He's not going to do it here. He knows that quarterback he's facing every day. He's done that well here, but when's he going to do that in a game? And then if he doesn't get the first-string quarterback throwing to him in a game in the mm-hmm. preseason, he's not going to get a chance to really elevate it on that level, or they're not going to believe it as much because the sample size is low. And then they, their biases kind of creep in. And I think that he's an example of that kind of player. I mean, I think uh, a, an even higher-profile example of a Rashad Higgins type of player who was drafted earlier, but he was he was seen as kind of the second in command to Marquise Lee, his teammate at USC, was Robert Woods. You know, at Buffalo, he was just kind of a slot receiver, always a little banged up. He was pretty good, but nobody looked at him as he could be the man in an offense. And then he goes to the Rams, and you, I would argue that Robert Woods was probably the most valuable receiver that they had over the past, you know, probably over the past two years. And that's that's no slight to Brandon Cooks or um, Cooper Cup, you know, it's just that Woods is so diver- is so versatile in the run game as a blocker, as a route runner, and he showed what he could do opening up as a receiver in the deep game. But a lot of that had to do with the rapport that he could get with a guy. And I think Higgins is that kind of player, just maybe to a lesser extent. But we'll see if he continues to prove that he's more than that. And but the the rapport thing is huge and. When you see a quarterback break the pocket and you know, wave, and you see the guy respond, and that was the thing, and and we talked about, you know, we had talked about it, and obviously, you know, Matt, Matt you know, Pete Smith, and we're over yeah. here doing the work. We're gonna bring you in. We're gonna get you in more and more and more. But we did that poll, uh, the, the Baltimore post game, and he had caught the big touchdown pass earlier. It was his birthday, but that was the day he banged up his knee, and you know, Browns ended up winning twelve nine in overtime, and it was. You're going to see there's going to be a drop-off here because Higgins is key to this. And, you know, the, the changes had been made. And, obviously, you know, Landry and, you know, Gordon was our gone. And they had some hopes for Callaway. But he was kind of, you know, 
to use the stupid Reggie Jackson term, but he was kind of the straw, you know, that, that you know that stirred the drink. And and once he came back, and the, you know, it was right after the old regime had left, and there was that comfort zone. And it, it, it's big to see with that. Um, I do want to ask you before we kick on over to the tight ends, Antonio Callaway. There were a lot of highs and lows, and it's tougher when a guy misses a full calendar year of football and all of a sudden is just dropped into the NFL. But there were a lot of instances, and you saw, obviously, the juice he can bring. Um, you know, the Houston game, you know, look, I mean, run the daylight at the goal line. Don't get the ball knocked out. But, you know, so some deer, you know, running in the headlights type of thing. But he, he was impressive, and he was one that, you know, as much as it was a tough pick when it was made, and I did give it some criticism, I think he outplayed my expectations a ton. Well, I think he, I think he did for me as well. And one thing that a Miami guy and a Florida State guy can agree on is yeah, really that's, the worst, that's the worst part. Yeah. All the Gator did okay. Exactly. So, but hey, listen, he he's a he's a fine athlete. I didn't think he was worth all the hype that was given to him. There was um, there's a lot to prove in terms of his his technical skills. I thought he was a very instinctive player, and that's a and I would give that a high compliment um, because of the fact that he does seem to know. He sensed he tends to think two steps ahead with the things he knows how to do. And that's there are a lot of players who are very good at knowing how to do a lot, you know, a lot of different skills, but can only think one step ahead. Um, and he's not that type of guy. It's just a matter of getting him more skilled at a variety of different things that he needs to do to become a complete receiver. So I think he has that chance to do it. The, the real question now becomes, um, was this a pick of the previous regime and and a pick of you know, the previous regime in terms of, you know, some of the personalities that are no longer in the room um, mm-hmm. and turns out to be more of the type of players that they were trying to get rid of in Cleveland? Or is he going to prove that he's more of a pick of this current regime and what this current regime hopes that they can be about? And if that's the case, then he'll then he can develop and, and become a player of note. So there's there's some there's some hope there. But, you know, my, my thought, too, is is this Corey Coleman too, or is this Corey, or is this what Corey Coleman was supposed to be? Um, you know, and I think that we're going to get a chance to find out. And but the Browns do need to keep picking receivers, if you ask me. I think that this is, you know, the the better that this team can continue to scout talent at that position, and and, and also the same thing with free agent guys and late round picks. There are a number of players in this class that I think, you know, are intriguing who can run routes or have the potential to become really good route runners who have physical skills. I mean, a Jalen Hurd out of um, Baylor is a, is a very intriguing guy. He might be a mid to late round guy. Plus, you can do a couple other things with him. I mean, you know, yeah. everybody loves yeah. Cordell Patterson. You yeah. could do a little of that if you wanted to. You could, and and you could say, you could say, forget Jacques Patrick. Maybe we can convince Hurd to come back and be the five-star running back he was at Tennessee because I still watch him when they use him in Baylor in short yardage situations yep. and go, I get that you wanted to be receiver, and I admire the fact that you've worked and taken the hit that you did to do what you to, to make that transition. But every time I watch you run the football, I see a running back. I see a and really he, running and, back. And if somebody comes to tackle him, he usually finishes high and gets a yard and a half to two more. So yep. I mean he's he's interesting in that and yeah, I'll tell you right now, if you know maybe we would have picks on the Patriots, uh that would be a guy Bill Belichick would find a role for in an <laughs> absolute heartbeat, guys. That's the way it works. And um and I will say the one thing on Callaway, and when you brought up, you know, 
there was some intelligence to his game. And it goes back to Nick Chubb's 92-yard touchdown run. He was out there as a blocker. And when you see, you know, because, no, Matt, you talk about it. I always tease. I don't care if they block catch 100 balls, whatever. We'll figure out the blocking part. But for him to just point to the center hash mark, like, I got this guy. You're going to take care of the rest. That was impressive because the first thing is, is, yes, it's football intelligence, but he hadn't played a football game in, you know, 18, 19 months. So he still had the feel of it and just yes. to get back in with that quick. That was very impressive. Um, yeah, this, I, is a, this is a performance sport. And when you're on stage, sometimes you forget that being how to be, handle being on the stage is just as important as whether you're very good in practice. Yep. And, and, and that was just the one thing. And I remember watching it live and it was like, wow, Callaway calling the shot there and you know I mean it was like it was just weird to think of you know the fourth you know the, the fourth round pick wide receiver the rookie erratic you know made a huge impact on that look I you know did Nick have the vision sure he did but it was impressive enough to see Callaway he had his back to him he didn't know where Nick was but he, right. he made the call so that was a cool part of that um guys um the locked on NFL net on um everything the shows the host runs through the Instagram, the Twitter account, Locked On NFL Net. Anything you do there, guys, um, you'll get anything. Whether it's the draft shows, whether it's the fantasy shows, whether it's the old, you know, team, uh, the specific team hosted shows. Guys, go ahead, check all that out. Now, Matt, we're gonna go on over to the wide receiver position. I mean, sorry, the tight end position. And now, wow, it's weird. Here we go again. A hurricane found his way. Um, Darren <laughs> Fells, I mean, who, I mean, there were times when Desmond Harrison was playing left tackle. You looked at Fells, you looked at Harrison, and you're like, well, which one is wearing the offensive lineman number? Which one's the tight end? Um, he'll forever be a Cleveland trivia answer. First touchdown ever caught. Um, they found a way to use this guy who, I mean, he's not very athletic, but he found a way to, you know, and Baker, I mean, this is thing. He can, you know, he loved his tight ends. He loved his fullbacks at Oklahoma. He was a guy, um, as much as I love uh, the young man out of Princeton, you know, I do get nervous for him. I do get nervous for Dick, uh, for Duke Johnson. I get nervous for Seth Valve. These are guys that, at this point, we should see more utilization of, but we haven't. So, and with this tight end class, as good as it is, and Matt, this looks really, I mean, if you enjoy tight ends, this is the year for you because you may have... I mean, what, double digits go in the first 130, 140 picks? These guys all bring a little something to the table, but uh, give me some thoughts on Njoku. Give me some thoughts on Fells. Deval, for obviously, is here. Maybe be, you know, they'll, they'll move on somewhere along the line, but if you have 11 draft choices, I'm assuming you're going to dip your toes because, I mean, it's, it's like ice cream. There's a lot of it. Yeah, I hope they do. I really sincerely hope that the Browns pick a tight end and actually pick one fairly high. Um, because as much as I like David Njoku as a receiver, um, he's still primarily a receiver. He may get better as a blocker, um, but it would be nice to free him up as a receiver so that you have more options in terms of scheme um, versatility in the run game and pass game where you don't have to lean on him to be a front side blocker um, in the run game on in the perimeter. Um, it shows in his route running. Uh, um, what The weaknesses he's seen as route running are probably the weaknesses why he's not a great block. He, I mean, the sink, the hips get really low. I mean, the route running he wins on being tall and fast. But yes. As far as sinking the hips and being able to 
that's that's where the issue seems, and it seems it shows up in blocking, and it still has. Yeah, think schematically for a minute, because really, if you're relying on him to play inside, then you're wanting him to run inside routes that are going to require him to sink his hips and drop and turn and 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 really turn quickly, and some of those short hitting routes that you can check down as the quarterback. If you're if you're basically using a race car when you need a plow horse, you, you know, um, <laughs> at a certain time, then it's going to kind of screw up your whole program. So, I mean, who who's going to be that guy that you're going to take that middle of the field for? And, you know, when meanwhile you're trying to use Njoku as, you know, that outside guy in longer developing plays, that's sexy and it works well on certain instances, but also you – the, the best quarterbacks find easy solutions in difficult-looking problems. And sometimes those easy solutions are just the short options that come open, and you need a receiver who's savvy at being able to do that against tight ends who play or against linebackers who can cover reasonably well or safeties reasonably well. But you need a good route runner. I mean, Tony Gonzalez, back in you know when he was with the Falcons at the end of his career, when he could barely move the way he did as a – you know, it was basically a power forward playing the running, um, playing the tight end position in Kansas City. When he was at Atlanta and didn't move nearly like he did, he could still get wide open underneath because of the fact that he was such a good route runner. Um, he had that old man game, and so you know, Darren, you know, or Fells has some of that old man game to him. He's been around the league a bit, so he can give you some of that stuff. But what you're looking for, really, ultimately, as a Cleveland Browns fan, I think is a player who can do what Njoku does to an extent and then can do what Fells does and even better than that. And I think so. And there are plenty of options here that I would, I could see one early and one late that I would really like. Are you going to make us wait, man? Come yeah, on, I can. Man. Hey, I didn't know. But, <laughs> but the one early, the one early is TJ Hawkinson. I think he's the best tight end in this he class. He gives me a Jeremy Shockey vibe. Yeah, I can see that. I've I've got him in more of the Dennis Pitta thing with speed, but that may be Jeremy Shockey. So you, you know he's a he's an excellent excellent blocker. He's a guy that you're going to be able to have him square up against. You know the outside linebackers in the you know in the AFC North. You're going to he's get got him. a little mean sob to him, but it's weird to say about an Iowa kid because those aren't the type of kids they are. But he's got a little mean sob to him. He, he does. He's technically sound. He can move you off the line. He's someone that can cut block. He can cut cut off. He can do cutoff blocks really smoothly. He can do a little bit of pass protection. I know someone in that related to that program who basically said that they showed him Gronkowski tape um, last summer as a for receiving, and he adapted and learned some things that were very good in terms of positioning, and it showed up in his game. I think he's. I don't know if I'd say he's by far the best prospect at the tight end position because Irv Smith Jr. is pretty darn good in his own right and a very good blocker. Um, they're one and two for me, but Hawkinson's my preferred guy, especially if you're looking for someone that can give you – he can play fullback, he can play H-back, he can be split outside or in the slot, and then, of course, he can be in line. And you need – and if you have that, that frees up them to use Njoku as a backside run blocker or as a tight end in two tight end sets or split him out when Hawkinson's in. And it just gives you a lot more versatility, especially if you want to be a run team and you can run from 12 personnel sets on a regular basis, that'd be awesome. And Baker can do a lot from 12 personnel that I think would be helpful. And then the guy that I think, if you don't want to spend the high round you know, capital on a TJ Hawkinson, which I think is a really great decision, you could wait a little while longer. And there's this kid not far from, you know, some people take a day trip down to West Virginia, and there's this nice. kid by the name of Trevon Wesco 
who's 6'4", 274 pounds out of West Virginia, former quarterback who came to college football as a, as a, as a recruited quarterback, 200 pounds, ended up going to community college, gained the weight in the way that I don't think he ate Chipotle like Adam Shaheen and suddenly gained 70 pounds. But, <laughs> you know, Wesco, Wesco certainly worked out, and he's, he's a guy that's 274 and still has that kind of like mobile quarterback maneuverability and agility within his frame. This is a guy also like Hakeem Butler can drop his weight and run the whip route. I'm watching him at the senior bowl and I hadn't, and I hadn't watched any of his games yet and I'm watching him win on whip routes, be able to get behind people and up the seam while he wasn't getting an amazing separation. He was quick. He was quicker than most of the guys there. Um, He could post up on you. And then he was just, you know, you could tell he loved blocking. And then I go back and watch some of his tape, and I was really impressed with not only him as a blocker, but how fluid of a ball carrier he was. He ran, he was nimble, he had could cut, and then he had the power to just basically run through contact. And then watching him as a blocker, I was really impressed with that. And I went back and listened to some interviews, and Dana Holgerson, the former West Virginia coach basically one of these weeks was talking about how much his offensive line had improved and how he'd like to count Trevon Wesco as part of that offensive line because he was the way he's played and blocked, he was literally should qualify as a member of the offensive line in terms of what he could do. And that if he had more time, he could probably devote the entire press conference to just talking about how well Trevon Wesco has played for them um, this year. And he's got, you know, I, I look at that and I think the Browns, the, one of the biggest struggles they had last year was running on the out, running to the outside. Um, and I don't think it had anything to do with their running backs. I think it had obviously to do with their tackles and it had to do with their tight end play. And I think that Wesco could really shore that up as more of a mid to late round pick who, who could deliver value. I think part of the thing with the offensive line play and the blocking was it was like, we're just going to keep the middle as clean as possible. So we'll try to run here and succeed and try to keep Baker clean. And obviously, you know, it, it, it is to their be- benefit. Wesco, the one thing you wrote up, and, and with his size and his weight, almost like when you see a guy and he's listed the size he is, there were a lot of, you know, like hamstring and hip tackles. And you saw him like elevating over them. Obviously, a lot yeah. of them brought him down. But, I mean, big man. Big man can move. <laughs> Yeah, he moves like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say he's Rob Gronkowski because, I mean, that's ridiculous. But, of course. But, but he moves like Rob Gronkowski moves in the open field. When you watch Rob Gronkowski, you think of like that. You just think of like an animal running with abandon through some area that you don't want to be anywhere near. Or, and you, or if you're on his side of the field, you're kind of enjoying the fact that he's unleashed in the open field and you're waiting and you're just going, I can't believe a guy's moving with this much physical abandon. And when you watch Wesco, there's some of that to his game. It's just that. And I like players who have an edge and play with a little bit of a recklessness. It's a controlled violence that they play with. I would say maybe recklessness isn't the right word, but they're just on the edge of tilting over to reckless, but they're still within control. And I think that tells you they're not afraid to play the game and not afraid to be aggressive, not afraid to you know use their body to its fullest extent and do it intelligently. And I think West goes that kind of player, and he would fit the mentality of I think where the I hope the Browns want to go here. Well, and and, and there's two things you know with guys like Arnkowski and Wesco at their size, 
you have to worry about getting your knee blown out or you have to worry about they're just coming at you at your head. So, I mean, you know, if they're going low on you, you got to be smart enough to get high. And look, I mean, if you end up back on your back, that's fine, but you don't want your lower extremities blown out. So, it's, you know, and as great as those type of talents are, they have to be more careful than a lot of other guys because obviously there's high, low, and there's high center to gravity. Matt, we're not going to let you go here without. Give me some offensive favorites, some guys you didn't get into tonight. You know. Off, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Come on, give me a couple of personal, just Matt Walden favorites to this point. <laughs> sure, you know. Come one on, guy I know you got him. Really, yeah, I do. One guy, one guy who's a favorite for me at running back is Alexander Madison of Boise State. Um, he's five eleven, two eleven, and he's a guy who can run gap and zone. He can carry the load for the team. He's he's someone that reminds me of. I put it this way: If the Packers were looking for, if the Packers had a machine that they could put Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones into, and get the get the best of both players, and and kind of meld them in, um, and get one guy, Alexander Madison might pop out of that machine. I think he's that that kind of talent who can who can be an every down starter in the league. So I really like him. I think Darwin Thompson out of um, Utah State, he's 5'8", yep. 200 pounds, and a lot of people are talking about Travion Williams. A lot of people are talking about uh, some of these 5'8", 5'9", 200-pound guys. Devin Singletary, a lot of people like a lot. But, you know, give me Darwin Thompson at 5'8", 200 pounds. This guy was like uh, – I talked to a guy by the name of Dub Maddox who has this terrific – um, he's a terrific coach who speaks on the on the coaching circuits around the country, um, and he coached Darwin Thompson in high school. And he talked about Thompson being a you know a power lifter, could have been an Olympic power lifter. And when you look at the lower end of his frame, you could see how muscular and how much size he has. And he runs with that kind of balance. And he and he's a guy who can catch the ball. He can run for speed. He's he runs well between the tackles, so I'm I'm a big fan of what I'm seeing there from him, and I think both of those guys are a bit on the underrated side that maybe a lot of people don't know about. In terms of wide receivers, um, you know, guys who caught my eye, Preston Williams out of Colorado State, he's not invited to the combine due to some sort of, due to a domestic violence issue. The violence issue was that he and his girlfriend got into an argument several like two to three years ago um he was trying to pull her into the house and keep her from leaving the house um and she she resisted and he resisted her trying to leave and so the cops got called it was a misdemeanor he also was you think about immature and i'm not trying to you know minimize it to a great extent but matt never would guys but you get guys who get um you know, you see people, immature young adults, get into arguments and girlfriend-boyfriend arguments, and one calls the other like 200 times and leaves messages on the phone. He was one of those guys uh, on top of doing that. So he he ended up, you know, pleading guilty and ended up transferring from Tennessee, ended up at Colorado State. When you watch his game, um, he's getting punished basically for the optics of what the NFL is looking at, and that's why I don't. I'm I'm a believer that the NFL just needs to say, you know, and I've written about this. If you want to look a little more at my site, but I've just talked about the fact that I'd like to see NFL just say we're a business, and let you know the thing we should be focusing on is, you know, maybe the judicial system and our public figuring out ways to to be better about how we um, 
enforce and punish these um, issues and determine what these mm-hmm. issues are and kind of go down that route because I, I just don't believe in the NFL trying to be a, a separate society. I, I think we can all say we're against domestic violence um, and, and say that pretty clearly. I think that's the low-hanging fruit. The high-hanging fruit is is let's have a higher standard about how we operate as a country, not just look at to the league for that. But if we're going to allow a guy to play because it's due process or that he was – or he was punished for a misdemeanor instead of a felony or whatever the issue is. I look at Preston Williams on the field. He's 6'4", 210. He's very graceful. He reminds me of players in that neighborhood of Justin Hunter to A.J. Green, depending on their skill level. You know, Hunter's the low end of the skill level. A.J. Green's the highest level of the skill yeah. level. And I think Preston Williams is that guy who can go up and win the ball for you, but he runs decent routes and can get even better. And he is fantastic in tight coverage, and he can break multiple tackles in the open field. So he's got that wiry strength. So I'm a fan of him. Penny Hart. I'm a big fan of old Penny Hart. He's a little dirty dirty with the routes. Yes, he is. And he's not far from where I live. Um, He probably lives about, oh, he grew up in in a town probably not about 10, 15 miles from where I live in Norcross, Georgia. It's a suburb of Atlanta. He um, he was a running back um, who converted to wide receiver. You watch his freshman tape, and you're like, who's this kid who's adjusting so well with his quarterback on the fly, making with the great catch radius and then the ability to run after the catch, and he's sudden. He's, like, so sudden. It's like, to me, when you see a sudden player who's fluid, it's like watching somebody, like, dump water out on you know like imagine someone dumping a pitcher out on you because you the person you're watching that person getting pitcher dumped on them and you and it's almost like you're watching that person react in slow motion as the water's coming out relentlessly with a level of speed and fluidity when you watch um a you know penny hart run a route i think safeties react like water's about to get dumped on them <laughs> and and i see that with his game he's a very fluid smart runner who can handle physicality he might even be a little more than a slot receiver but he can definitely play special teams he's an all-america caliber special teams player and he's kind of that player in the mold of say john brown um with a little more physicality to him um maybe a dd westbrook type who i think gets underused and they don't know how to use him in Jacksonville and could probably be a better player somewhere else. Um, I'm sure Baker could attest to that. Uh, <laughs> would be glad to have D.D. Westbrook, considering that Baker Mayfield probably threw more go up and get it and win it balls to Westbrook than any other player that he worked with. Um, you know, I think Penny Hart can kind of give a little bit of that there too. Um, so, and then maybe, you know, another guy that's kind of intriguing to me, you know, I still think, you know, oh, let's go a little bit deeper than that. Um, let's say, you know, a tight end, you know, another guy that I, I find interesting is Dawson Knox. And I don't know if he's necessarily – he and Jace Sternberger, neither of them are really like deep sleeper types. I think everybody knows who they are. Um, but Knox is an old Miss kid from 6'4", 257 on Bruce Feldman's freak list, which, you know, to me is like it's entertainment because Sammy Coates, again – is on that list, but you know, just because you have freakish athletic ability doesn't know you know how to use it very well on, on a consistent basis. Old Miss had the most. Old, old Miss had a whole bunch of weapons and nothing to show for it. Yes, exactly. But when you watch Knox, he can block, and I, I think he just needs to be utilized more as a receiver. But you know, 
you look at you look at the um, OJ Howard, and I thought he was vastly underutilized as a receiver at Alabama, and we saw what he was beginning to do last year before the injury. And then Sternberger, this kid was a former walk-on at Texas A&M, but when you watch his tape, you're thinking this kid's not a walk-on. He might be one of the best tight end prospects in this class. I mean, he can block, and he definitely can go up and win the ball. He can break tackles. He's that fluid kind of guy that. I think of him in that kind of Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson type of mold as a as an athlete and how he moves and what he can do. Whereas with Knox, he fits that Shockey mode as as well to me. He kind of reminds me of Shockey in terms of how he moves and what he can do well. Yeah, well, Sternberger, um, he's like one a lot of us, you know, absolutely would love here. Um, you know, Knox, that's the interesting thing. There's not much to show for him, but I mean, you know, the combine, you know, I'll kill it. I mean, Old Miss, it, it, it's always a head scratcher because, I mean, there was enough offense talent there to win eight, nine games in the SEC. It's just sounds weird. like, well, you yeah. know, Georgia was that way. They should be a national championship team. But, Georgia know. just, the problem with Georgia was there was just too many weapons. <laughs> and I don't think they knew how to just say, all right, let's go with three or four. Um, Hardman, I mean, return skills, you think a little bit of a Devin, now that we're here, okay. Hardman, you think a little bit of Devin has to return skills, but you also put in the fact that he's not a reserve cornerback or he's not just a return guy. You can do things with him and within an offense. Yeah. No, I think it's a great pick, and it's a, it would be a great pick for them because you could not only use him totally. in that regard, but, but what if you decide that you want to have a poor man's Tyree kill? You know, and you sweeps, want to, you, the forward. Yes. Oh. So then you can have that added dimension if you if Freddie Kitchens and, and Todd Munkin decide that they want to kind of go the route of what we saw in Kansas City, what we've seen in you know Chicago. You get that you get Bobby that Kennedy. kind of player. Yeah. So that's a it's a good option in, in terms of how that could help out. So and then Preston Williams to me again is that if you you know you, if you're not going to go high and get a Hakeem Butler, well, you could go mid mid to late rounds and get a Preston Williams if you feel like he checks out and it, when you interview him and you don't think he's just saying all the right things, that he actually is a guy that will be a professional. And if he will, then you've got yourself a player that I think, you know, I know a lot of people really like Justin Hunter, you know, when he came out and was drafted by the Titans, I, I thought he was overrated because of a lot. It, his issues showed up on the field as well. Um, but I think this is what people thought Justin Hunter um, could be, um, but maybe not as, well, I won't say the sky-high expectations that what people thought Justin Hunter could be, but I'd say reasonable expectations of that, which is a guy that maybe one day someone will say, wow, he might have the potential to be an A.J. Green type of player. Um, you, you know, and he may never get there, but he'll be good enough that people go, he's a good starter for us. Yeah. Well, the thing with the Adrian Green comparison, which I like, is they move well in and out of breaks. And it's not the, you know, sometimes with these bigger receivers, it's more of the, you know, the hands are extended before they need to. It's, you know, hit me in the face mask because I'm going to run the route where you want it to be run. Hit me in the face mask. And it's the quick snatch. And that's always been AJ Green. It was just, you know, I will get to where I need to be. Just hit me. Hit the hands. I've got the hands. And I wouldn't be shocked if Williams' hands you know, measure extremely well. And that's just an advantage for guys like that. But, uh, Matt, it's always fun. Yeah, man. Absolutely. It was a blast. And the kids always love that, you know, St. Matt Waldman brings the snow days. 
Well, I was fun. born during a blizzard, I think, so maybe that's what it was. Believe it or not, I was too. Uh, my mother started to waddle herself out the front door and said to my dad, where's the car? And it slid down the driveway because there was an ice storm. So they, you normally call me a natural disaster, which is you know, a lot of parts. It is true. It is. Um, it's, a, it's a good football name. See, there you go. Yeah, especially for a you know 170-pound guy. Absolutely. It's the perfect name. <laughs> um, Matt, um, whether it's the uh, RSP Film Room, YouTube, the podcast, the video breakdowns, make sure everybody knows where they can find anything that you put your name to because, guys, he's, he's one of the best. You don't get to where Matt is without putting in years of quality work and effort and just, you know, people you know, eventually buy in. Well, I appreciate that, you know, and, and certainly... Yeah, oh, you stop, find, you know it. <laughs> you can find me at www.mountwaldmanrsp.com. That's my site, and I usually update a lot of content there probably three to five days a week, if not sometimes every day. Um, and then there's the RSP Film Room, which is a YouTube channel. There's three hundred over 370 videos up there, um, and I'm putting things out two to three times a week. And they range from three to four minutes to just evaluate one point about a player that's indicative of what I've seen or it takes you through kind of my process with how I'm looking at players. Or I'll do things like yesterday I dropped a 48-minute look of, <laughs> on Dwayne Haskins that covered seven of his games and showed you things that I saw repeatedly during those seven games that I thought were noteworthy about what he does well. Um, to Jamal Williams, I, I hosted a show with Jamal Williams um, and his we evaluated his like tape, me. you know. <laughs> his mom still doesn't like me. Well, hey, I hear you, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but he, uh, you know, we watched we watched tape of his Michigan State game together, and I got to pick the game, um, and I picked a harder game of his that wasn't stat worthy, um, so that we could talk about things that were beyond just the oh look how good you were in the highlights. Um, and then, you know, you've got that, and then you've got the RSP cast, which is a new venture of mine um, that comes out once a week. And I talk about mostly things that have to do with scouting talent. And if you, and if you like any of that and you decided that, hey, listen, you know, I'm interested in the RSP publication, that's available at mattwaldman.com. Um, and it's uh, available every April since 2006. Um, which is, you know, over 300 pages worth of material on on these draft prospects at the skill positions. 10% of it goes to a fantastic cause called Darkness to Light, which is an organization designed to prevent sexual abuse of children, as well as to address those concerns if they do happen in the community appropriately, so that the victims don't have compounded issues that, that sometimes happen when untrained people are trying to deal with this problem. Um, and that can create a lot of damage on for young people when that does happen. And so they've trained, you know, thousands of people because of the work that we've been, you know, that my readers have been able to, you know, when they buy the RSP, the percentage that I can contribute to that. Um, and when you get the RSP, you get a post-draft guide, as a, you know, for fantasy-oriented people um, that kind of combines um, – you know, average draft position with my rankings in a way that you can find the sweet spots for players that you want to pick that could be bargains for you. Like, say, everyone wants to, you know, say like a guy like Saquon, you know, or like a Nick Chubb, you know, is a good example. Or Baker Mayfield. Here's where people are trying to pick him. Here's where I've got him valued. You either want to wait this long or you want to go a little bit higher. So, you, you know, and it kind of gives you that idea. 
And the newsletter comes with that once a month, June through December. That gives you updates about you know what I'm working on, as well as rankings updates um, on the the past three classes of players. Yeah. So guys, Matt's got some information for you if you're looking for it. Just a right. wee bit, just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. Um, Matt is probably one of the best big brothers to the community. Whether it's football, fantasy, I mean, Matt is great like that. And obviously, the information is outstanding. So, guys, anything. And I will tell you right now, the RSP, go ahead, purchase it. It's certainly worth it. The Lockdown Browns podcast. We keep the Twitter account at Lockdown Browns, a follow back account. I appreciate that. Um, me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Guys, I, I, when we talk about guys with a history like this, I will say no on everybody because if I didn't, I will end up looking hypocritical. So it's draft prospects or guys from the past. It's it's just not for me. So you know, you know, if that's an issue, I, I apologize, but I'm not going to put a degree on these. Whether it's an A offense, a B offense, a C offense, I just rather roll with guys who do not have this in their background. And this is what we went through today. But and look, whatever it comes, yes, I want the Browns to win. If Kareem Hunt is eligible and worthy to play, and the Browns win. That's what I want from this podcast, guys. Obviously, to talk about this team being better, it is. Um, would I have gone another avenue? Yes, I would have. That's me personally. You guys know enough about me at this point that that's the way I speak about things and that's the way I do things. So I appreciate everything. It has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go, Browns.